Father, we are so grateful this morning that um, once again we can come to you in the midst of absolutely anything. And you are there and you are capable, you are rock solid, you are everything that we need. And Lord, it just doesn't matter what's going on around us. You are above and beyond all of that. You are there in the midst of government shuts down, shutdowns. You are there in the midst of flood and, f- and drought in, in all the different situations that we face in life. And Lord, I just pray that more and more you would build us as a church into a beacon on this hill, a light for this community to see that in the midst of all that they are facing, they will find us to be a very bright arrow that points to you. God, build us up here as a church. Expand our ministry. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, with the power that you brought on the day of Pentecost. Let us experience that in our daily lives. Let us experience that in our corporate life as a church. Let us be who you have called us to be. Father, we need you this morning. We come here to acknowledge who you are and what you have to offer us. We know that you have plans for us. Help us to find those this morning. Now, Lord, we want to thank you for Peter and for the gifts that you have given him. We ask that you would just fill him with your words, that your words would go out with your power, that we would be ready to receive whatever it is you have for us this morning, again, from the book of Ephesians. We ask for your blessing on Peter as he speaks and on us as we listen and receive. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This morning you get to hear from who Paul refers to as the Southern Canadian. It doesn't work anymore. It's just dying. Is it frizzy? I put this stuff on it. and It's supposed to keep it down. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And uh, so far, we're one through three. And if you need a Bible, you're going to need a Bible. Raise your hand, and the ushers, someone will come by and give you a a Bible. Just raise your hand up high. And we've been going through the book of Ephesians, chapters one, two, and three. And I think it's been a fantastic series. Paul's been going through what the Apostle Paul teaches us, which is a a lot of it's um, a lot of basic Christianity, a lot of very core things of the faith, the inheritance of Christ, the power of God, the, the power of the cross to tear down the divisive wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, and the amazing work that, that Christ did uh, through the power of his blood. So, so Paul, throughout Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, is going through all these incredible things that Jesus has done for us and has done in us. And what I want to do is, before we move on to Ephesians 4, which will be next week and then the following, um, because, because Ephesians kind of takes a turn. Um, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is like this long prayer, this long sermon in a way. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are very practical. It's kind of like we, get, we go, here's the foundation, now here's the ethos. Here's the, here's the ways we do life in the church. And uh, we're going to start talking about that. We'll talk about marriage and talk about all sorts of some very practical things um, throughout Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. But before we get there, what I want to do this morning is I want to answer the question... What was the world like when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians? What was Ephesus like? And specifically, I want to answer the question, what was the religious culture like? We want to talk about that a little bit this morning. And my hope is that by some descriptions and and, um, talking about what Ephesus was like, when you read the book of Ephesians, 
uh, it'll kind of, you'll start to think, okay, this is the audience, um, partial, part of the audience that Paul was writing to um, back in Ephesus. I think it's some fascinating stuff. So, ready to go? Isn't history exciting? Let me show you something really exciting, a map. So, so for those of you who, like, love maps, or for those of you that get hives when you see maps, this is going to go really quick, so don't worry. Um, uh, Ephesus is right in the middle there. And you'll notice that Ephesus is in, uh, it says Asia, but that's actually, you know, modern-day Turkey, okay? And it used to be known as the province of Asia Minor. Ephesus is located right in the center, and, and, and it's really important to notice this because to the east of Ephesus is Asia, and to the west of Ephesus is the Aegean Sea and, and Rome and Greece and Macedonia and the Mediterranean Sea. So Ephesus is like this port right in the middle of Asia. It's, it kind of splits Asia and the, and Western and the West. So east and the West is kind of split by Ephesus. And so you can imagine, because of its location, because it's this port, it's kind of this melting pot of all sorts of different influences and cultures. And it was a very, very, you know, eclectic city in a way. Um, Ephesus was this, this kind of this, light, this, this melting pot of all sorts of religious beliefs and, and influences and uh, from, from all over the world. And one thing I want to focus on this morning is a particular religious pagan influence that was in Ephesus. And her name is Diana, which is her Roman name, or her Greek name, Artemis. This is Artemis right here. And Artemis worship was huge in Ephesus. Artemis worship was a big part of life in Ephesus. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Artemis. Artemis was this very ambitious, very intelligent, very, uh, she, she was known as the, um, the, the, uh, the, a very smart goddess. She, uh, there's a story, her myth goes, that she was the twin to Apollo, and she was born first. And as soon as she was born, she turned around and helped her mom deliver her brother. So for those of you who have the sticker that says, my son is an honor student, or my child's an honor student, how about this bumper sticker? No, anyway, I'm not, okay. Um, so, anyway, she, he helped, she helped her mom give birth, which happens all the time. And Zeus, her father, said, well, because you've done this incredible thing, I'll give you whatever you want. And so, naturally, Artemis asked to be a perpetual virgin, to be totally chaste and pure, as any of us would ask. Okay, you know, all right, so, so that's what she asked. I want to be a perpetual virgin. So that, that's, that's her myth. I'm just reporting the facts, okay? Let me show you another picture of Artemis. There's this interesting paradox with her. Look at this picture. In her right arm, she's pulling out a, like a, a, an arrow, and there's other statues where she has a bow, and then her left arm is like this small animal. So all of her statues, like, she's like this hunter goddess, but she's also the protector of small animals. This interesting paradox. It's kind of like Ted Nugent in a, in a PETA commercial. <laughs> I don't know if that worked. But you know what I mean? Like, it's this weird paradox. There's other paradox. She kind of mixes up with these other gods in Ephesus, and she becomes like the god of childbirth. And um, there's actually, in, in 1 Timothy, there's this reference to childbirth, and, it's, if, and there's been some scholarship that's pointed out that's Artemis language. 
Like she had this really strong influence. She's the, 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 the Greek goddess of, of childbirth, the goddess of the forest, the goddess of perpetual virginity. She gave life. She was the goddess of fertility. She was the goddess of sexuality, of reproduction, of crops, of children, of rain. She was the protector of animals. She was a provider. And so everything, here's the point, everything that you got that was good in Ephesus was from Artemis. If you got a raise, Artemis. If you had a child, Artemis. If you had any, your crops were great, Artemis. Praise be to Artemis. Now, Ephesus, like I said, was the world center of Artemis worship. And at one point, it's recorded that at the spring festival, a million people came to worship Artemis. A million people. That's a lot of people. That's, That's a huge crowd of people coming to to worship Artemis. Now, this was a major part of the economy of Ephesus, because in Ephesus, it was often you'd find people who would make statues of Artemis. And then, you know, you have tourists come, and they'd buy up these statues, so it was this major part of the economy and the revenue of Ephesus. Let me show you a photo. This is a picture taken of of, uh, um, the Artemisians. It was taken back in 5 B.C., Um, this is the Artemisian. This is the Temple of Artemis, an amazing structure. This is where they believed Artemis actually lived. Her spirit lived within this temple. And it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was an incredible place. Let me show you, the ancient poet Philon said this, he who has laid eyes on it once will be convinced that the world of the immortal gods has moved from heaven to earth. Like, it's like so amazing, it's like heaven came down and crashed into earth. Incredible. Let me show you another picture of uh, the Artemisian. This is uh, an artist rendering here, and uh, you can notice that there's these massive columns, there was like 120 columns, and they were 65 feet tall and 6 feet wide, and you notice on top there's the, like this, these, uh, um, these uh, uh, you know, inscriptions and engravings. Um, stat- the statue of Artemis right on top there and the animals around. And look at the steps. You can kind of get an idea of how big this is, you know, compared to the steps. You can see maybe how big people would be and how, kind of get an idea of how large this was. This is an amazing structure. And this is like right in the downtown of Ephesus. Now a pillar, one of those pillars right there would take forever to build. I mean, you would, you'd probably start, you know, start building the pillars, you know, six feet wide, it's, those are 65 feet tall, and, you'd, and they, they said it would take 120 years to build one pillar. So you'd probably start on a pillar and work every day of your life building a pillar, and then you'd die, and your son would take over, and he would continue the work, and then he'd probably die, and then your, your great-grandson would take over and, and maybe see the finished work of the pillar. Amazing amount of effort that went into building this. And there's 120 of those. So this is an incredible structure. An amazing effort went into building the Artemisian. Now, Antip- uh, Antip- Antipater, this, this uh, Macedonian general, says this about the, this is so cool, about Artemisian. I have gazed at Babylon. I've seen Babylon. I've seen Zeus by the banks of Alpheus. 
I've seen the hanging gardens. I've seen Helios. I've seen the mountains of the lofty pyramids. I've seen the pyramids, he says. I've seen the gigantic tomb of Mausolos. But when I saw the sacred house of Artemis that towers to the clouds, the others were placed in the shade, for the sun himself has never looked upon its equal outside Olympus. This guy saw the pyramids, and he says that the Artemisian, when you see it, pales in comparison to the, to the pyramids. Amazing. This was a major part of Ephesus. This was like right in the middle of the city. Let me show you a couple stats here. If you go to the next slide. Uh, the, the temple base was 260 by 430 feet. There was this platform inside that was 180 by 160 feet. 100 columns, 6 feet thick, 65 feet tall. And it had, the Artemisian, had 70,000 acres of land. Now let me give you an idea of what 70,000 acres of land is. Imagine a square, okay? And Chapel Hill Church is in the corner of the square. To get to the other corner, you have to go up to Fort Snelling, go north, okay? That's, that's north to there. And then to get to the, the, the corner uh, west of us, you go all the way to 169 and 13. Okay, so that, now imagine a square from there, okay? That's how much land the temple had. Massive amounts of land this, this temple had. And what did they, they do with it? Well, you could rent it. You could lease it. And then you could have, um, you could, you could uh, farm on it and build crops on it. And all you had to do was just give a portion of your crops to the temple, but you could farm on there, and that's, that was kind of what they did. And because of this, the Artemisian, the temple of Artemis, was a thriving financial source in Ephesus. Some said it was like the, the banking center of all of Asia. It was this major banking source. If you, if you need a loan, you go to the temple of Artemis, and you, you get a loan there. Let me show you what the, the governing council of um, Ephesus said about Ar Artemis. Since the goddess Artemis, leader of our city, is honored not only in her own homeland, which she has made the most illustrious of all cities through her divine nature, but also among Greeks and also barbarians, the result is that everywhere her shrines and sanctuaries have been established, and temples have been founded for her, and altars dedicated to her, because of the visible manifestations affected by her. Let me tell you what this is saying. Focus on the visual, visible manifestations. What this is saying is that everything comes from Artemis. All of our wealth, Ephesus, all of our crops, Ephesus, your life, the reason why you're alive is because Ephesus has blessed, uh, uh, Artemis has blessed you. Everything comes from Artemis. That's what this is saying. Because of these visible manifestations, she's shown her power to us. She has made us a glory, a city of glory because of Artemis. Let me show you what they did here uh, to, to, to kind of, uh, uh, one of the rituals that was common within uh, Ephesus is that they would go on the day of each year when the port officially opened, the priests of Artemis carried, their st carried her statue to the waterfront and they dipped her statue into the water as a sign of her blessing upon the merchant vessels that brought prosperity to the city and as a symbol of her protection upon the vessel sailors during the following year. So the belief was that Artemis provides all the revenue. Artemis provides 
um, safety to those who go out in the sea and go into the vessels. And this was a, um, uh, this was a common thing. They would go and dip, this, dip her statue into the water because they firmly believed that Artemis provided all the blessings. Okay. So, do you kind of get that little idea of what Ephesus was like? You kind of get a little idea of what's going on in Ephesus. Okay? It's, 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 it's interesting. It's like this, there's a very strong religious force. So now, when we read Ephesians, and we read what Paul says, why don't you go, to, go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to point out a couple passages and think about maybe some of the implications of these passages. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Ephesians 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to Artemis. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, praise be to Diana. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Um, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now get this. Sometimes when I read the Bible and I read passages like this, I'm like, okay, this is just straight up Christianese. Right? This is straight up like, bless you. Praise be to God, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's like, it, it kind of just, right? But imagine saying this in Ephesus. Imagine being in Ephesus and saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm. Boom. I mean, this was, this was heavy, heavy language to be saying around Ephesus. This was something that you don't say, because the implication is, that Artemis is not the one who blessed me. You see what I'm saying? Very, very potent language. Next, Ephesians 1.19. Ephesians 1.19. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What names were being invoked in Ephesus? Artemis, Artemis. And Paul is saying here that God has seated Christ above all rulers and all authority and all names, every name. This is potent language in Ephesus. Let me go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. He says this. He's talking to the Gentiles here. He's talking to follow, ones, who, ones who may have been at one point followers of Artemis, saying this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two Gentiles, you two followers of Artemis, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul's saying, you are the temple where the spirit of God lives. Now I can imagine that the Jews that were hearing this letter, the Jews of the church, probably thought about the temple in Jerusalem. And there were probably even some Gentiles who knew about the temple in Jerusalem that thought about this and knew this. But I can only imagine that some new followers of Jesus, the ones who used to follow Artemis, when they heard that they are the temple and the Spirit of God dwells in them, well, that was, that was confrontational language. 
This was challenging their perspective of where the Spirit of God lives. They thought Artemis lived in the temple, but we're saying God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, lives in us, lives in you, Gentiles. Let's go to Ephesians 3, 8 through 9. Ephesians 3, 8 through 9. Paul says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden from God, who created all things. Christ gives boundless riches. He's the one that blesses. And then finally, he is the one who created all things. All life comes from Christ. Paul is going on and on and on here, just combating some of these beliefs. And then he says in verse 12, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul says that, Because of him, we can come to God. We can be with him. We can commune with him. And then he says, don't worry about my suffering. I want to talk about that in just a little bit. Let's keep moving. Now check this out. I love this. And this is kind of gets to the heart of Paul. Because Paul says this. He's like, for this reason, I kneel. He's like, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can you imagine Paul seeing these people who are following this false god, and he's just like going, I just kneel before God, I want you to know about his love and his truth. He spends Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 proclaiming who Jesus is to this culture and to these people who don't know him, and his heart just breaks. He's on his knees praying to the Father, I want you to know this love. I don't want you to be deceived by the culture and deceived by the way the culture is going and the gods of this culture and this Artemis. I don't, he doesn't even say her name, but he yet, he is going after this false belief that Artemis gives all, when Christ is the one who created all. Christ is the one who has all the power. This is Paul's heart. This is Paul's heart. So, now last week, Pastor Paul, see there's this thing with Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, I gotta clarify here. Pastor Paul talked about how Paul went to the Jews, and he argued with them. He debated with them about these things. And we talked about that. This thing is Acts 21. Is that right? So this week, I want to show you Acts 19. This is before that. And so go to Acts 19, and I want to show you what Paul did in Ephesus. This gets me, I just, gets me so excited here. So Acts 19, verse 8 It says this, that Paul is in Ephesus, and it says in verse 8 that Paul entered the synagogue. So Paul is going to the Jews, and he spoke boldly to the Jews for three months, arguing arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He spent three months in the synagogues arguing about the kingdom of God to the Jews. But some of them became obstinate, obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, and he took the disciples with them 
And then check this out. He had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Paul leaves the Jews. He goes over to the, to the hall of Tyrannus, which is where the Gentiles are, followers of Artemis, etc. And it says this, that he, uh, he took the disciples with him and had dis- discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, I'm speculating here, but I believe that some of the things that Paul taught in the hall of Tyrannus was, Ephesians, was parts of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. You can only imagine that Paul talked about what God did through Christ. He talked about the inheritance, talked about the power of God. He talked about the dividing wall coming down. I can only imagine these are some of the things that Paul talked about. These are the things Paul is passionate about. And then it says that God did some extraordinary things through Paul. Like Paul's clothing healed people. The clothes that Paul touched would actually heal the sick and drive out evil spirits. And it it caused great fear among Ephesus. So things really didn't stir up. Until verse 23, go to Acts 19 verse 23. It says this, About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the skilled workers there. So this guy is making statues for Artemis. He calls all his friends together, along with the workers and other trades, and says, You know, my friends, you know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. We make Artemis statues and we make lots of money. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. (laughs) And he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple, the Artemisian, of the great goddess of Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who's worshipped through the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So they're worried that Paul's teaching, this teaching that he's giving in the halls of Tyrannus to all these people, is going to undermine their economy and undermine the very culture of Ephesus. So what happens? Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. So he starts a riot. Get this. Paul teaches for two years about Christ in the halls of Tyrannus and in the synagogues. And two years later, a riot starts. He starts, the whole city is turned upside down. And it says this. The people seize Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed together into the theater. Let me show you the theater. So this is the amphitheater in Ephesus, okay? So they rushed to this place. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let them. Now get, I love that verse. Paul sees all the people packed out in the the amphitheater, and he's like, I want to go in there. Let me in there. Let me at him. I want to go in there. And his disciples are like, no, Paul, you can't go in there. And it even says this, that even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him, don't go into the amphitheater. Don't go in there. Paul's like, you can just see his heart. Paul is described as like this short guy with like a, a crook nose and like a unibrow. And he's got bow, he's bow-legged. And some even said that he had kind of like a eh, 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 kind of laugh, you know? 
So here's this Weasley guy, this kind of Weasley guy. He's brilliant. He wants, he's like, let me in there. You know, he's just kind of, I want to go into the amphitheater. I, I, oh, I love that. Someone's going to write a movie about Axe. He's just like, uh, Now here's, here's the, here's, it gets even better. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another, and most of the people did not even know why they were there. <laughs> Can you imagine? I thought this was a Mary Kay thing. I didn't know what. <laughs> um, so like, I don't even know why we were, why, why am I here? And so the, the Jews in the crowd pushed this guy, Alexander, to the front and shouted instructions to him. Alexander's like, quiet, quiet. But then when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then the city clerk quiets the crowd and says this. Listen, listen to this. People of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they neither robbed temples nor blasphemed a goddess. If then Demetrius and associates have a grievance against anyone, the courts are open, there are proconsuls, they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in the legal assembly. And as it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. So he's just saying this. Guys, we're starting to riot. If, if the Roman government finds out we're rioting, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble because we have nothing against these guys. He says this. Next slide. He says this. They have not blasphemed our goddess. The city council member, official, says they haven't blasphemed Artemis. Do you find that a little interesting? I mean, why are they rioting? Paul did not attack Artemis. Nowhere in the book of Ephesians does he say Artemis. He doesn't attack him. And he goes on for two years talking about Christ in the halls of Tyrannus. And the city officials, I'm sure, were watching him and waiting for him to say something that was blaspheming Artemis. He never says it. He never says it. Paul does not tear down Artemis. He preaches Christ. Paul does not attack the culture. He preaches Christ. Paul doesn't spend any of his energy pointing out all the bad things about the culture. He preaches Christ. I think it's amazing. And he does this, and, there's a, and it starts a riot. He does this, and it turns the whole city upside down. Paul was more pro-Jesus than he was anti-Artemis. Oh, sure, he was anti-Artemis. He was anti—there was things that were happening in the culture that were bad, but Paul preached Christ. He spent his energy and his time talking about how great Jesus is and what he's done for us. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he goes on and on and on about what God— done through Christ. 
Now, how many Christians today are known for being anti-this and anti-that? How many Christians there are just known for being against? We're just against, we're against, we're against. How much energy are Christians spending on just like being, you know, attacking the culture and throwing this and that at the culture and, and you know, criticizing the culture, criticizing this, this, this. And how much energy is spending, being spent on preaching Christ? Talking to people in, in conversations and whatever about how great Jesus is. Talking about what Christ has done for us. We spend so much of our energy talking about what we're against. But how much energy are we spending talking about what we're for? And who we're for? And what Jesus has done? Paul did this, and he started a riot. He started, he turned the whole city upside down by just preaching Christ. Paul wrote this, let me just, you don't need to turn to this, I'm going to turn to this, in 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote the letter of uh, Corinthians to, uh, in, in Ephesus. When he was in Ephesus, he wrote 1 Corinthians, and he, he wrote this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul knew that the message of the cross and what Jesus has done was so powerful that he didn't even have to come up with his best ideas to criticize the culture, point out all the bad things. He simply just preached Christ. So are we more anti-culture than we are pro-Jesus? How much energy do you spend pointing out all the bad things about our country and our culture directly? I'm not, you know, some of this is, is good. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't. What I'm saying is how much energy are we spending talking about Jesus and then by implication, by implication, challenging the culture? How much energy are we spending talking about the inheritance of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God? And then by implication, having that challenge our culture. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. And get, get this. 60 to 70 years after Acts 19, 60 to 70 years after Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, 60 to 70 years after Paul's ministry to Ephesus, Ephesians goes 90% Christian. Christians take over. Over like, over like 60 to 70 years, archaeologists go, something happened in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus. Something happened in Ephesus. That 90% of the city became Christians. I mean, you go there today and you see, unfortunately now, it's like there's no Christians. But you go there and you see like the, the, the heritage of buildings that were churches all over Turkey. Unfortunately, they're now, now, now they're all mosques. But they just took off. So Paul's strategy of just preaching Christ and not tearing down the culture, it worked. God, and God used it. When you lift up the cross, you'll draw people to God. When you lift up Christ... By his power, he will draw people 
to him. So my challenge to you is in your relationships, in your family, with your friends, at, at work, be pro-Jesus. Be preaching Christ. Talk about what God has done. Talk about what Jesus has done. But be careful because this will turn things upside down. This is powerful talk. This is powerful words. These are powerful implications because of what Christ has done. I want to close by reading the last two verses together of the book of, um, of Ephesians chapter 3. If you can bring that up in the slide. It says this. Let's read this together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Now the ushers come forward, have the worship team coming up. Dear God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, the one who is over every ruler and every authority and every rotten thing in our culture. Dear God, we... Lord, we want to be your, repre your representatives in this world. We are challenged by Paul and what he did in Ephesus. We are challenged by his passion that he wants to, he wants to get into the, the amphitheater and talk with these people. He wants to preach Christ to those who are hurting, preach Christ to those who, who are following this false way. Lord, challenge us, God. Show us how we can do this. Show us how we can preach Christ in our everyday life. Um, I'll just take a moment here, pause in my prayer, and I just want to, I want to, I got an email this morning from Steiger, and Aaron, Andrew Wiff is with them this, uh, this week, and they, this is, they're, they're going to Iraq. And I got this letter, this urgent prayer request, and it says this, last week, in the village of Diyarbakir, province of Turkey, 18 people were killed in a fight between the Turkish military and the PKK. At this point, we're playing a, we're playing a concert there on July 26th or 27th, as well, in the, as well as the Kurdish area of northern Iraq. So we have family, we have people from our church, we have a mission team we're supporting going into this very area, Turkey, going into Iraq and this whole area, and they're preaching Christ. So let's just take a moment now before we go into worship and just pray for them. God, we lift up the Steiger team to you. We lift up No Longer Music. We lift up this group that are going into these areas that are hostile towards Christianity. And we pray, Lord, that by your power, as they lift up Christ, as they preach Christ in this area, this area that's, that's um, where Islam rules, Lord, where, as they go into there and they preach Christ, and the implications of that preaching has dramatic effects, Lord. We pray that your power would move, that many would be saved, and that you would restart things in Turkey again. Lord, that you would establish your church, and then those who um, need to hear the truth, that they would hear it, God. And we pray, God, our hearts are, we love uh, our, our Steiger family. We love um, Andrew, Lord. We, we, we want him protected. But Lord, use him, use them to reach this country, to reach Iraq, to reach Turkey, Lord, as they go and preach there. I pray, Lord, that that, um, that no, these terrorists would not be involved at all. They would be far away from what's going on in Turkey and Iraq. 
And Lord, that your message would just be clearly preached and spoken to that country that needs you so desperately, Lord. Lord, we love you, God, and we, we know your heart's breaking for the people around us, the people in other countries who don't know you, who are following a false way. And God, help us to be light and to shine and to show them that our God is greater and our God is better, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said,